Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. There's no pleasantries today. It's jumping straight into the topics because we have a lot to talk about. And today, today's show is going to be a bit heavy, and I'm going to apologize in advance, but. There's certain things we need to talk about, and I feel compelled to share with you today. If you're like most Americans, chances are you're caught up in the 2020 election. Everything you're hearing and seeing is heavily involved with Donald Trump is great. Donald Trump is Hitler. Joe Biden is great. He's the savior. He's the, he's the only one who can restore our democracy. Or Joe Biden is what Joe Biden actually is, is a dirty creepy, old guy who has a lot of health problems. But there's a story this week that broke that is getting not enough coverage in my eyes, and it affects everyone. It obviously affects the people of their country, but it will have wider implications. Because the problem with government is, when bad government policy comes around, it usually is contagious. It's not like, hey, that was a really bad idea, let's not do it. Everyone kind of goes... Hmm, they got more power, but things went down, but they got more power, right? Yeah, let's do that. This week, the United Kingdom became the first country officially because of coronavirus to commit absolute, total, and utter economic suicide. <gasps> John, why would you say such things? Are you are you just trying to get some attention? No, I'm going to make the case of why they did. And I'm going to make the case... To talk about Britain, because as much as there's the Irishman in me and there's the American inside of me, the American spirit that goes, we both thought Britain broke, Britain has a bad history. I feel for the British people. But also, why I fear for what's going to happen, because other countries are going to follow this, and there's not going to be a voice for freedom. I have done my best over the years to be the calm voice. I have done my best over the years to be the reasoned voice. To say, guys, these are the problems. You need to start waking up here. Guys, you need to wake up. You need to start remembering your founding principles. Guys, please wake up. Please wake up. Those days are gone. The days of me being nice and soft and, you you know, nice and soft and gentle, John, trying to wake you up are gone. It's no longer, this is coming, guys. You need to wake up. It's here. And if you don't wake up and you don't get out of your own political crap, the amount of discourse I heard this week about a dying wish is unbelievable. And I'm not just talking about the media. I'm talking about on social media. The amount of discourse that happened over a dying wish was truly frightening when this happened. So what happened this week? England committed suicide. Economic suicide that it will never return from. Or if it does return, it will be a long time. 
And I'm not talking long as in, oh my God, is it going to be another four years? Oh my God, are we talking like to the end of Trump's presidency? No, I'm talking a long time, like that pretty much everyone alive in Britain will be dead by the time things come back. Let me talk to you why. So Boris Johnson addressed his people. Basically said effectively, without using these words, we're on pretty much on lockdown for the next six months. You got to work from home. You got to... Pubs and restaurants can't stay open past 10 p.m. In Scotland, which is part of the United Kingdom, they went even further. They basically said no one can visit your house. You can't visit other people's house because of coronavirus. Because we've got to stop the spread. And this is them getting tough on coronavirus. They're all hooking up. So why is this the start of economic suicide? Because our world is changing. The amount of people that this is going to affect is incredible. One of the things that really annoys me, it pisses me off the most, excuse my French, is this discussion, or should I say lack of discussion, and one-sided agenda on all sides when they're talking about issues. If you're worried about coronavirus, good, so am I. I'm a very severe asthmatic. My breathing is crap lately. I work in round retail. I share your concerns. But that doesn't mean just because, hey, I'm in that vulnerable category and I've got to work to put food on the table. That doesn't mean just because I'm scared that I can control other people's lives. This idea of if you're scared, fine. But let's actually have a reasoned debate about this. Let's discuss the impacts. Let's discuss the impacts on generations. Let's discuss the impacts on people who will lose their jobs. Let's discuss the impacts of people who have other medical conditions. Let's discuss the impacts of suicide and depression and drug use. Let's actually have a full, reasoned, logical debate. But no, no, we can't have that. Oh, what are you, oh, you, you want to talk about all those other things? Oh, what, do you not think coronavirus is serious? Are you, are you, are you one of those deniers? Oh, are you one of those right-wingers? We can't actually have that discussion. So what happens? If you have been around a city... And I was in our city today, in Ireland. It's like a ghost town. I went in to a place where I park. I don't, I'm lucky in the sense that I don't have to go to the city that often. I go maybe once a month. I avoid it like the plague. Why? Because our government is so great that they basically make all these streets one-way streets. You can't turn right on a load of streets. It's a nightmare. The traffic is a nightmare. Parking is a nightmare. Today I went into a car park, which I have went in many, many times. Normally, with the time I would have went in, I would have been on the fifth or sixth floor. To show you the impact of this, after the second floor, it was closed. There was no need for it. I was on the second floor, and it was empty. All these businesses, all you see as you walk down these streets is shutters down, with filled with graffiti. Shutters down, shutters down, shutters down, shutters down. That might employ two people, three people, five people. They're sitting at home. All the industries that are destroyed, that are decimated by this, by these shutdowns. All these businesses that I used to go in and order, do orders for. In retail, where they would sell 10, 20 cases of certain items. They're now selling half a case. This has a knock-on effect. This is unbelievable. And why is this so devastating? Because I am sick to death 
of everyone on either side of me, because I have friends on the left and friends on the right, and I'm going to address each one of them individually. I am sick to death of my friends on the left cheering this on as some type of noble, good, honest, well-intentioned, you know, somehow considerate of other people's deeds. It's bullcrap. I don't you ever want you to hear lecture me about poor people. Because what this is doing is destroying the poor people. You know, rich people always will make money some way. If you have the millionaire and the billionaire, oh, damn. Oh, did he have to sell his land? Oh, did he have to sell his yacht? Oh, shucks. They will make money despite themselves. What are the poor people supposed to do? You know the poor person that you're always telling me that, oh, the greedy capitalist in me doesn't like, that I always look down on, that I don't care about them? You know those poor people who work for tips, who work in the hospitality industry? What about them? Any consideration for them? What about people who stock the shelves in in different aspects of retail and clothing shops? Hmm. What about the barista in the coffee shop? You know, these are not all millionaires and billionaires. What about them? Do you care about them? The fact that they haven't had a job for six months and maybe won't have another job going forward? Oh, but should the government's providing them support, right? Hmm. Do you care about the poor people? Do you care about anybody who's on the low income? Or is it just a case of, let's just get all this power and screw everybody else? Coronavirus. Even though those numbers are going up in cases, hospitalizations are still really low. They're not even 10% of what they were in the peak in March. The deaths are a fraction. Anyone care about that? No. But what is bad is this economic downturn that we're going to face. Because there is going to be an economic downturn. And it's going to affect everyone. Is bad. But what makes it worse is the compounding of what we are about to do. And America is included in this. I am so sick of my friends on the right talking about socialism. Great. I despise socialism. I am right there with you. But don't all act all noble and go, we all stand against socialism. When you are silent with what your government is doing. I remember the Tea Party. Do you remember the Tea Party? Remember all those lines we used to say? Obama, the most profligate spender in American history. Remember all those lines? Remember them taxed enough already? Remember all those lines? What started that? What started that was George Bush. Not Barack Obama, contrary to rewriting of modern history. It was Rick Santelli having a rant on the Chicago Stock Exchange floor about bailouts. When George Bush was president, not Barack Obama. This bullcrap spread by the media. Oh, well, it was all racist if you were the Tea Party. No, it started under George Bush. Thank you very much. And what did it start about? Bailouts. Government getting involved. Debt been too high. Remember Obama been the most profligate spender? Do you know you have added more in this year alone in your to your debt than George Bush did in his eight years? Where's the rallies for that, huh? By the way, George Bush, it's not like George Bush was some conservative icon and I'm picking him out of the hat because he didn't really grow to debt. He was the second most profligate spender up behind only Barack Obama. Do you realize you have borrowed $4 trillion this year? Do you realize you have borrowed $7 trillion since Donald Trump has gone into office? Obama added about $9 trillion to the debt. You've added four, seven in the last four. Where's the outrage? Because here's the problem, and this is what Britain is going to do. 
and they're starting to do it right now, is they are starting to do these shutdowns. That will kill jobs. But what will make it economic suicide is they're going to start printing money. They're going to start borrowing large chunks of money. What's going to happen? Is there anyone that in recent memory that's like, you know what, John, I think you're wrong here. I, I have fond memories of quantitative easing and quantitative easing too and the bailouts. I, I, I think this will end well. I think this is sound economic theory. Is there anyone who's read even one word of an economic textbook that understood it that's going, yeah, this is a good idea. This is going to end well. What's going to happen? What's going to happen is your debt is going to skyrocket. I've always been amazed at people on the left and the right who are not morally outraged by the debt and how you act. It's one thing. I have socialist friends who believe in a big welfare state, but at least they have the humility and the honesty to go, but debt is bad. They just believe in taxing the rich on ungodly amount of money. They just, but they're at least they're wrong. I think they're immoral. I think they're fundamentally flawed in their ideas. But at least they understand that you don't borrow large chunks of money. Because if we actually came up with what we actually do on a daily basis, we would be on the front cover of every major newspaper for child abuse. Imagine me and you, let's say, you know, we're a couple. Whether if you're a woman watching, congratulations, you got me as your husband. Or if you're a man watching, we're a same-sex couple and we have kids. Can you imagine us going to the bank and going, hey, we have this kid, little Johnny over here. Little Johnny. Yeah, he's two years old right now, but we're giving him a credit card. And we're not going to pay it back. We're just going to give it to him on his 18th birthday. And me and you, because we're a couple, we're going to live it up. We're going to have meals. We're going to go to the cinema. We're going to wine and dine. We're going to have a great old time. You know, have a few, a bit of caviar. <laughs> you know, have a, have a few frogs, because that's what French people do. Oh, French, oh, you put the legs. It's beautiful. You, you put them in the water. You put them in the butter. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And then on the 18, Johnny's 18th birthday, we go, congratulations, happy birthday. You're now a responsible adult. Here's your credit card. You're going to pay all off for the rest of your life. Imagine not being in the news. Is there anyone by the sound of my voice who would listen to that kind of go, that's totally fair? Or would everyone be outraged, left and right, rich and poor, kind of go, that's wrong. You don't do that to a kid. Yet that is what we do every stinking day. And we're all like, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. But what annoys me most is that who will this hurt the most? It will hurt the poorest among us. It will hurt the lower income families. Because these policies will hurt opportunities. These uh, policies will devalue the currency. And without going off on another side run, when you devalue a currency, it is never good. The rich people. If they have a million dollars and it's only wise you $800,000 worth, worth of stuff, it's no big deal. Granted, they might be able to buy, you know, they might have to slum it in a 2019 Mercedes instead of a 2020 Mercedes. <gasps> oh my God, the horror. Oh my God, me and Muffin won't be able to, I don't know, you know, go on four vacations this year. We'll only be able to go on three. Oh my God, let's cry some tears. But the poor people, the poor people who are living off have a disposable income of maybe a hundred dollars a week or a hundred dollars a month. And when that only buys eighty dollars worth of stuff, what's that gonna do? When their kids start asking for stuff, hey, can I have the new set of Nikes? Can I have a new, you know, baseball jersey? Can I go play football? Can I buy the pads? Puts pressure on. That's if they're lucky to get back to a job. 
and actually earn some money. But then comes the real economic pain, which England started to admit this week, around Thursday, Friday. That the this cost that they can't save every job, and what's going to have to happen down the road is when things get normalized, whatever that means, we're going to have to look at raising revenues. Hmm. What does raising revenues mean to you? It means tax increases. What's that going to do? If a business has more taxes and is basically less profit, does that create more jobs or less jobs? And again, who does that affect the most? Does it affect the rich people or the poor people? We are in a situation right now where economic suicide is becoming popular. I share this with you to talk to you about England, but also to talk to you about what's happening in your country. Guys, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up and start looking in the mirror. I don't not telling you not to talk about politics. I'm not telling you how to vote. Vote Donald Trump, vote Joe Biden, vote Joe whatever the libertarians candidate is, vote third party, vote. I don't care. Vote how you wish. That's between you and God. But the times for serious conversations are right now. We need to start talking about real big issues. Because if we don't, it isn't going to end well. And you can read between the lines for whatever way you want that to mean. Things are not going to end well. But for those of you who listen to this and are worried, you're like, wow, I'm, I'm bummed out, John. Thanks for that. Guys, you have the solution. I wreck my brain. I, I do a lot of driving my job. You know what I do when I drive? I spend most of my time kind of going, how do I tell an American that their principles mean something? How do I tell an American? What words do I have to use for an American country and the American people to wake up? To put the, the left and the right garbage aside and actually have a meaningful conversation about the solutions to all the problems you face. That's what I spend all my day doing. I have yet to come up with the answer. But guys, you have the solution. It's time to get back to a set of principles, a set of core values that have been violated for the longest time. This is not a Donald Trump thing. This is not even a 2016 or a 2020 problem. You have to understand and acknowledge that Article 1, Article 2, Article 3 have been violated. There's a reason your founders put in the set of systems and a set of checks and balances that they did. But it's also important for you to lack understand that you lack a bit of humility right now because anytime i bring this up everyone always points the finger at the other side look i don't know how anyone can listen to my work on the blaze for the last seven years and think john is soft on the left or john is soft on democrats or has a soft spot for them i don't know how you come to that conclusion i despise what they stand for i despise their ideologies not the people their ideologies I think they are stupid, I think they are wrong, I think they are immoral, and I think they have never worked. And what am I basing that on? All of human history. But it's time to stop pointing the figures at other people and start looking inwards and kind of going, do I respect the Constitution? Do I respect the rule of law? Do I respect the Constitution? Because some of the arguments... Let me just give you one example. 
that's really frustrating me this week. And I don't want to talk about the Supreme Court, but I just want to talk to you about a principle. All the discussions this week is about whether Trump should, should take it to the Democrats and fill that seat. Everything has been about politics. I don't understand how you can understand the role of the Supreme Court and look at your constitution, whether you're left or right, and say this has anything to do with politics. The one criteria for the Supreme Court has always been the same. It's not about election years. It's not about whether a president can, should, or will. What it's been about is the president has a power to nominate and the Senate has the power to give advice and consent. That advice and consent, that power to nominate someone, has nothing to do with election years. It has everything to do with the interpretation of the Constitution. Will they read the Constitution and go, Hey, this is what it means. This is what it meant in 1776 and 1791 and 1787. Or will they interpret it through modern eyes? Well, this is what they meant back then, but this is what it means today. So we're just going to, you know, bilaterally mean that, you know, if they say this, this is what it means today. And that's what we can do. Or we can hide behind the general welfare clause. Or we can hide behind the idea that it is the Supreme Court's job to decide what's constitutional and what's not constitutional. It's everyone's job. There are three articles in the federal government. The House and the Senate, the legislative, the executive and the the judiciary. Not just one, but three. How many people take that responsibility seriously? Or dare I say it. How many people in D.C., on Republican and Democrat sides, actually know what their oath is? Or is it just something we do now? We go put our hand on a Bible and go, Hey, yeah, I preserve to, I swear to Almighty God I will preserve, defend, and protect the, the Constitution. Yeah, whatever that means. How many people actually understand what that is? How many people are outraged about people who put their hand on a Bible, take that oath, and then violate it? Guys... It's time to wake up. But also, I finish with this on this point. I've taken a lot of flack for this as been jealous. Or, you know, how I've been passed over for opportunities and I've turned bitter. I've said for the longest time, you guys need to stop embracing the right in Europe. These policies have been done by the right in Europe. Boris Johnson is a conservative, quote-unquote. Stop embracing them. Because when tyranny comes... It just doesn't come from one side. You can't just look to, hey, there's the left. Let's go talk. look to them for tyrannical government. You also got to look to the right. That's why I make things about not about people, not about ideas, but about principles. But also, secondly, the right in America through CPAC and through other organizations have been giving the wettest, slickest kiss to the European right. Oh, mm, well, we're all the same. <laughs> You're right. I'm right. We're all right. We're all good. It's time to stop. They are nothing like you. You do not share the same ideology. It is time for people who believe in freedom to wake up and start being bold again. Time to be bold again. How do you do that? I need to talk to you about something that's been bothering me for the longest time. Since Corona virus started. 
There are many implications of the coronavirus. We've discussed some of them, the economic policies, the economic devastation that people think is are either ignorant or too arrogant to think will come for them. How there's going to be so much pain and devastation. But the most troubling thing is what I want to talk to you about now. It happened in America. It happened in Ireland. It happened in England. It happened all around the world. And sadly, last week or two weeks ago, it happened in Ireland yet again. But before I tell you what that is, I need to lay the groundwork. I see people getting very concerned about the left. I share your your concern. I see the radical left for what they are. I'm no fan of the radical left. I despise socialism. I despise communism. I despise Marxism. If I had a magic wand that John could do whatever he wanted with this magic wand or, hey, oh, let me let me actually use the language of the day. You know, let's have a bit of fun because I know we had a bit of a heavy, heavy conversation. We're going to have another heavy, heavy conversation in a couple of minutes. Let me use the language of the day. Hopefully I don't die soon. Hopefully it's a very long time that I die. However, if God should have a sense of humor and before you see this or maybe in the next 24 hours I die, I... I die. I want to declare a dying wish with you. Here's my dying wish. That for once and for all, the humans, as my dying wish, would condemn to the ash heap of history with the grinding and gnashing of teeth the ideologies of communism, Marxism, and socialism. There's my dying wish, and dying wishes have to come true, right? I despise them. But if you read enough history, whether you actually go through world history or whether you go through biblical history, you will understand and see a common thread. That the times change, the peoples change, the situations change, the exam- examples change. But there's always one consistent. Evil is always present. If you want to get biblical, Satan is always around. He's always lurking around the corner, looking for an opportunity to strike. And Satan is always there, whispering in your ear, going, They screwed you over. You're entitled to more. Get them. Get your vengeance. You're entitled. You're oldest. They have something you don't. Satan is never far away, tempting you. Evil is always there. It is, and I apologize for anyone who gets offended by my statement, but I believe it's true. I think it is highly, either highly unrealistic or one of the dumbest opinions you can have if you think we can live in a world with no evil. Because there is literally 0% of evidence that suggests that's even possible. You could put Christians in one, in one section of the earth, and it's only Christians Heck, you could get even just one section of Christians, whether it be Protestants or Catholics or Baptists or Mormons, whatever it is, and put them in that section of society and go, it's still unrealistic to say that there won't be any evil. To understand why this is totally unrealistic is because you have to understand the tenets of Christianity. If that was realistic, there would be no need for Jesus Christ. There would have been no need for the crucifixion. There would have been no need for the resurrection. 
Because, hey, if you just put the right people together who are perfect, you won't have any sin. We're all, we're all perfect. You have to understand that as much as we have great potential, and we do have great potential inside of us, some is tapped, some is untapped. Some is believed and recognized, and others is just that voice of Satan in your head going, you'll never do anything. You're a fat boy. You'll never achieve anything. Who the hell wants to listen to you? Oh, you think you can change the world? No, you can't. It's untapped. It's never got there. But you do have great potential inside of you. But every one of us is flawed. Every one of us is a sinner. If you want to, get, if you want to use the biblical terms. It's unrealistic to expect evil to go away. Evil will always exist until the end of time. I don't worry about evil. My concern is whether there's going to be good to stop it. You see, I don't fear evil. Evil has always existed. But what I am starting to fear, and especially I'm putting this in an American context, is people who know the right thing, do they have the courage to stand up and say there is a line you must not cross? There is something that you must never do. We'll have this line in the sand. It may be different for every one of us. But when you get there, you don't cross it. My fear is that we are starting to lose good. Because when I see evil, I look for the good. Where in an ideal society would you find good? Where would you find something that should be pure? Where would you find something that should be humble and noble and selfless? Where should you find that? If you have that magic wand and go, I would look there. Where would you choose? Most people, I guarantee you, said the church, the synagogue. Some Muslims might say the you know, mosque. I don't know, the, the temples, if you're Mormon. Your religious values, whatever they are. You probably went to the church. Here's what troubles me the most about coronavirus. Is at a time when our world is in its most perilous state, where we are seeing pure evil on the streets, our churches are closed. It's sending the message, and I believe this is intentional. You can feed your belly, you can even go shopping and put clothes on your back. Can't go to church. No, 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 can't go to church. And every church that I know of has complied with it. With the exception of a few in America. Every church has went, yeah, absolutely right. Coronavirus, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. We need to be responsible. We got to close. But hey, it's 2020, right? You know, we, it's not like we're closed for good. Like, you can watch us online. You can, mass is good online, right? Where are the priests that will stand up? Where are the people who will tell the government, go pound sand, that you may be our president, you may be our prime minister, you may be our Taoiseach, but you're not my boss, because my boss is up there. And I have read the Bible, and I understand that as a, as a person of faith, the worst thing I can do with my responsibilities is tell someone that they are not welcome in my father's house. No, I'm not saying, hey, let's, ha let's cram everyone into that, into that church. 
I want to be crystal clear because every time I say anything like this, all those people jump out of the woodwork and go, oh, what are you, you just, we're responsible. No, if you want to set things up and you want to set things up with social distancing and wear your masks and don't interact and don't shake hands if you're a Catholic and, and don't have those embraces at the hall doors, fine. I'm not going to tell you how to run your church or your synagogue or your mosque or your temple, but be open. Work within the guidelines if you have to. But when it comes to closing down, if I can go to Target or to Walmart, I can go to church. Or I have the option to go to church. But this idea that priests are, oh yeah, absolutely, no problem. Because what we are living in is times that are testing our souls. We got to decide what people we are. What's important to us? What are we willing to die for? But better yet, what are we willing to live for? You know one of the changes that's happened in my life? I don't want to get into too many of the details because it's still very up in the air and I don't know how it's going to play out. When I saw all these priests close their church, for the first time in my life, I said I can do better. I will do better than them. I never felt called or worthy enough to do it. But when I saw that spinelessness, the cowardice, the compliance of going along with a government mandate, I went, there has to be another option. There has to be another option for people who believe. We need those voices right here, right now. Because here's the thing. The story that's been running through my mind a lot lately is probably one you've all heard of. We need to be Bonhoeffers. Story always, I tell this story to a lot of people, and usually when I'm in America, I'll always share it. It's, it's, it's guaranteed to be one of the top three stories I tell when I give presentations. Talking about justice, talking about doing the right thing. And it's so easy to understand, because it's about framing the debate. And Bonhoeffer is in Nazi Germany, he's in one of the camps, and he's a prisoner. And he's sitting in his room, reading his Bible. And a priest walks by. And he sees Bonhoeffer in, you know, the full garb. And he's like, did, did I just walk by a priest? I just gotta take a, you know, moonwalk. I know he wasn't alive back then, but just do the Michael Jackson moon dance, the moonwalk. Walk back and go, you a priest? What, what are you doing here? Anyway, the priest goes into him, and this is obviously Bob paraphrasing, it's a story. But the priest goes, my God, father, what have you done to, to be here? You know, to be in jail, you're a priest. And that's so many ways that we think, isn't it? We see a priest in jail. We go, wow, what have you done? What has the priest done to go to jail? But Bonhoeffer changes the debate, and this is what we need to do today. He said, you're all wrong with your question. The question isn't what I have done to get in here. The question is, what have you not done to stay outside? You see, the understanding of our religion, if you're a Christian, and I'm talking to you as a Christian, or if you're a Jew right now, if you believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you need to understand that you are not asked, or not gifted, or not aim is not to have an easy life. It is have to is it is to have a meaningful life. Sorry, I got tongue tied there. It is to have a meaningful life. Sometimes that will involve great suffering. This idea, if you look through Christianity, it amazes me how many modern day Christians think, "Oh, being a Christian's easy." 
you know, just get up and turn a mass and have fun and say a few prayers. And if you're, you know, for the Catholics out there, you say a few rosaries. Well, good, right? That's not what being a Christian is. It's a part of it. Not knocking church, not knocking the rosary if that's what you believe. But it's only a small part of it. We have to spread the word. We are, even though it's 2020 and technology makes it easy, it is our job to spread the good news. And I say this to you as not from an Irish point of view, but from an American point of view. Ireland could have existed, does exist, even today, exists without the Catholic Church having a stronghold. Separation of church and state. The Irish Revolution could have happened and did happen without the church. The English Revolution, the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution, they all didn't need the church. In fact, some of them said, no, we don't need the church. You can take your God and run away. But America was different. You don't have America without the church. You don't have America without the pulpit. Thomas Jefferson, I say this all the time, Thomas Jefferson just wasn't writing one day and went, that sounds good, we'll write that down. Those These truths are self-evident. That all men are created equal. Where do you think he got that from? Go read your founding documents and even if you have to Google it, go read your founding documents links to the Bible. It's clear. It's there. How did that happen? That happened because priests, pastors, bishops, lay people, whoever it is, spoke the Bible. And spoke principles. We need to get back to understanding. It's time to understand the times we live in. We are seeing real evil. What are the solutions to real evil? It's time, if I may use a biblical parable. It's time to understand that for the longest time America has had this light. This lamp. These solutions. And has tucked it under the bed and no one's been able to see it. And it's been given a glimmer every so often. It's time to take that lamp out from under that bed, place it right on the hall stand and go, there's your answers. There's your answers. It's time to wake up. There are no more exits. There are no more cushy numbers. There are no more, well, let's just see what happens in a year's time. It's not. There's no time for it. I would ask you if you're even a tiny bit skeptical of what I'm saying. Look around at your world. Look around at your little community. How secure is it? How are you feeling? Are you seeing real evil? Are we seeing the dogma of the past return? Are we seeing the ideologies return? What is the answer? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You just got to believe in those principles we got to start shelling those principles to left and right, top and bottom, black and white. Because here's the truth, and I believe this with every core of my being. Your founding principles are the most inclusive, unifying principles that man has ever had the audacity to come up with. And I think it's time we try them once more. finish off today's show i just want to give a huge thank you thank you to everyone who's donated to the gofundme and just wanted to give you a quick update uh, about the the tour i'm doing next year it's i've been wow i've been blown away by the responses i gotta be honest with you um it's the 
the tour's doing pretty well. It's doing pretty full. The problem I have is I have a load of um, offers and emails to go through, but logistics is not my strong point. You know, it's amazing for someone who loves America so much. I There's one topic I've always sucked at in my life, and it's geography. So, like, I'm going, like, oh, I'm going from Tennessee to, you know, Greenville. Where, where, how does, how does one get there? How does, can I do it? Uh, you know, is it drivable? You know, is it a long drive? And just, you know, is it, you know, what airlines do I have to do? And it's just, it, all the logistics. If, if I had a million dollars, I think that would be the first person I would hire. Just go, here, look after the logistics. Can I get from point A to point B and give a speech at that time? And they'd go, yeah, I can, and look after it and book all the flights. Um, but I'm in 10 states. I'm in Florida and confirmed for 10 states. There'll hopefully be a couple more. I'm confirmed for Florida, South Carolina, Oklahoma, Texas, Michigan, Philadelphia, or Pennsylvania. Sorry, now Philadelphia is not a state. Pennsylvania, um, Louisiana, Tennessee. Oh, I've forgotten it. I think there's a couple more. I, I've, I apologize. It's been a long week, but there's about ten, there is 10 states confirmed. I counted that last night and it's, I'm hoping to add a few more as well. It's been amazing. And I hope to maybe meet some of you all there. I'll let you, I'll be posting updates on the GoFundMe page and also my social media. The reason I'm not sharing the days and the locations right now is because some of the meetings I'm doing are closed. Oh, I can hide my transcripts. <laughs> I'm not, I'm joking. They're closed to, you have to be a member. And if you want to join up and be a member, fair enough, go for it. But I'll be sharing the dates, and if it's an open meeting, y'all can come along and, and learn and have a good time and, you know, at least to get to hear or see the accent in person. But I do tend to share a lot of the speeches, and one of the things I'm hoping to do to get you guys involved um, more is there's question and answers after every them. It's one of my requirements. I'm a very low-maintenance speaker. All I ask for is two requirements. One is a whiteboard to write notes on, and two is to do a Q&A, because I learned so much from the Q&As, and I, it, it just... You grow more through learning. And my hope is to actually share the, the Q&As with everyone um, so that people can actually see the Q&As and get to see what people are thinking about different around the country. And also my hope is there is a hidden agenda for me wanting to share them is because I have no doubt in the places I'm going to speak, there are going to be people who will disagree with me on certain policies. And I want to actually show people video evidence of two people having a disagreement and being respectful because I still believe that it can happen. And I'm, I'm so excited. So hopefully I'll meet some of you guys. And if you want to consider donating to the GoFundMe, I can't do it without you. Um, I'm investing 10K in my own money. So it's, you know, I'm funding most of it. It's just to get, you know, the extra help. It would be really good. To finish up today's show, I want to talk to you about a key part that's missing in life. And again, I apologize for annoying people, but this is a biblical principle. But it is so, so important to understand. We are living in times that are, Evil is existing and thriving. But how we fight it is absolutely critical. And two of those principles are based around your emotions. Yes, emotions. <gasps> are you going all lefty on us again, John? Yeah, I am. If, if, lefty, if the left holds emotions, then yeah, I'm going all lefty on you, quote unquote. And then I just said to you about the churches. I see so many people wanting to condemn people. Oh, them priests are going to rot in hell. Oh, the priests are going to rot in hell. Oh, they, they can't believe they closed. They deserve everything they get. First of all, just from a biblical point of view, I've always been amazed that people who are so sure and so certain of who's going to heaven and who's going to hell 
I, I just, I would love to see God's facial reaction if God has a face. Like that we can sit, and when I say if God has a face, I mean in human terms, like we have. I would love to see his facial expression when people go, he's going to hell, she's going to heaven, he's going to hell, she's going to heaven. Because he's like, huh, guess I wasn't needed here then. I guess I wasn't need to be judge, jury, and executioner, or, or, or the master of their fate, because you all have decided who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. I'm, I'm no longer needed, I'm just God. I'm always amazed at people's uh, understanding of biblical principles, that they are so sure of who's right and who is wrong. What about him? What about them knowing their heart? But also, when I look around at the world today, I think one of the emotions we're missing are two linked together. Empathy and mercy. Because our God is a God of mercy. We need to show more people mercy. I am so troubled. I cannot tell you how troubled I am at the what the churches have become. How they've sought out this agenda. And yes, I do believe it is an agenda from on high. To be popular. That we care more about how many people. And we count how many people are in our pews on a Saturday morning. Or a Sunday morning. Or a Saturday night. We count and care about how much our, our plate is. How much, how much tithing did we receive this week. And we hide it under humble terms. Well, the more tithing we get, the more poor people we can help, right? We don't actually count how many people we have saved. But even that language is incorrect. Because you can't save nobody. We're not gods. I see people going, oh, well, I'm a priest. I, I have saved a hundred people. And I can tell you I've saved a hundred people because I've done a hundred baptisms. You've saved nobody. The only person who can save someone, quote unquote, is him. We need to actually start looking at the language you use. But we look around and we see what's happening. How many people show mercy? Because we're all sinners. We're all flawed. That he is without sin cast the first stone. I can't tell you how upset and disappointed I am in the church. I, words, I could, I could think about it for like six months. And write a speech about how disappointed I am in churches. Whether it's Catholic, Protestant, Baptist, Southern Baptist, Mormons. Can't tell you how disappointed I am in all of you. But I'm not condemning you. Because I understand that maybe if I back then was in the same position you are in now. I might have made the same choice. I don't think I would. But I, I don't I could I could say here going, I'd never make that decision. I'd never go along with that, but you don't know till you're in that situation. You don't know what you're going through, what those people are feeling. Does the world ever understand mercy? But also a second understanding. What does anger get us? I've been very I've changed so much over the last six months. And a lot of it is because I've totally disengaged, not totally, but a large part engaged, disengaged from social media. I share some stuff, I answer some messages, I engage with people who comment on my posts, but I don't go scrolling social media anymore. I don't go scrolling the news sites going, what can I get outraged about today? Even someone sent me something this week and I said, please don't send me that type of stuff again. I just don't want it near my soul. And I'm saying it to other people as well. Why? Because garbage in, garbage out. 
anger in, anger out. You want to know the solution to a lot of problems? We need to start putting stuff in our soul that will make us healthy, that will make us better. God, principles, love, and mercy. How about that as a good start? And if you're thinking, well, John, that's four things. That's a lot of things to put in my soul. Just take one. How about we start putting things into our soul that are meaningful? Because I look around at people and I would ask you, no matter whether you're left or right or in the middle or a centrist or a moderate or an independent or a libertarian, whatever you are, or progressive. Is there anyone that looks around and goes, you know what? My life is so much better today because I am so angry. And I am so pissed off at so many people. My life is swell. My relationships are swell. My interactions with people are swell. They've never been better. Is there anyone who can say that? Maybe if we just dial down the emotions, the anger. And we actually just started listening to each other. Now I know there are people who are going to say, Oh, what, you want to start listening to communism propaganda? No. I'll listen to it. I'll tell them what they're wrong. And I'm not going to change their mind. And that's okay. But if we just show other people a bit of empathy. A bit of understanding. A bit of love. Because if you read scriptures. That is what he asked for. Back then they all did holocaust. Oh look how great I am. Oh I'm brilliant. I, I sacrificed my, my fattened ox. And I, 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 I brought him to the altar. And I sacrificed him for God. Many times he's like, I don't need that. I I don't don't I don't need that. Jesus rewrote that whole way of thinking. But also, if I may use a biblical term that's become secular or from other religions, pay it forward. Remember you used to always do this, where you'd go to the you'd always hear these stories, the feel good stories, about you know, people going to the to the true drive truths and they pay for the person behind them just to, you know, give them a good day. And then you'd hear stories about people paying forward and it's starting a chain and like it'd be 40, 50, 60, 70 people going through a drive through paying forward, paying forward. You know the reason why, if you want the number one selfish reason, if you've got to be motivated by selfish reasons, why you need empathy? Pay it forward. Because you understand, you, yes you, are a flawed person. That on some issue, at some point in time, even if you're the best person who's ever lived, will be wrong on something. And that you better hope you treated people the way you would like to be treated. Pay it forward. Or if you want to use another human secular expression, what goes around comes around, baby. How about if we showed people mercy? We might get some mercy when we uh, make some mistakes. It's time to start realizing who we are and who we want to become. Because here's what I will say to you, and this is solely for the future of America. What happens in England, that's England's problem. What happened in Ireland, that's Ireland's problem. I want to talk to you just for the last two seconds about America. America is a wonderful country. We discuss this each and every week. We didn't discuss it too much today, but we normally discuss it. And over the seven years, I have highlighted hundreds of reasons why you're a great and exceptional nation. 
But one of the things that your founders understood, and it's in your Declaration of Independence, is that honor is sacred. And that those men and women acted with honor, acted the best that they could. They were humble, they were kind, they were fighting for something righteous. And God blessed them. I believe in divine providence. I don't think manifest destiny has any shred of evidence of credibility. I believe in divine providence. I believe that one of the reasons he blessed your nation was because of the actions of your founders. Because they were kind. They were noble. They weren't angry. They were trying to build something a brighter and better tomorrow. Maybe there's something in that. Maybe if we start understanding why he blessed you once and how he can bless you a second time. It's of being people of good and moral honor. From everyone, from the president, to the congressman, to the media, to the local businessman, to the priest, to the pastor. Everyone, all the way down to the baby. It's not like you just point the finger and go, hey, you got to have honor. It's everyone. But lastly, and I know today has been very biblical, and I want to share one last story with you. Because I talked to someone this week who was very concerned and... It was a mainly biblical conversation. And he was very concerned about the future of America. And the America he was handing off to his kids and grandkids. He's like, I don't think we return from this. We've strayed too far from God. It's over. We don't deserve his blessings. And I went, that's one way to look at it. But let me talk to you about scripture. Read the scriptural parables. Where Jesus talks in parables about the one sheep that got away. Where that steward has a hundred. That shepherd has a hundred sheep. And one goes missing. And then he finds him. How does he react to him? Does he react with anger? Does he go bad sheep you stupid sheep. You should never have left me. Or does he welcome and embrace him with open arms. giving him a warm and loving hug and says welcome back my son how about if you start acting with honor and looking for his blessings do you think maybe if you did that and you repented and you turned back to him are you telling me it's so outrageous for me to say that he wouldn't treat you like that one sheep and celebrate you for coming back and once again bless your nation All this boils down to one philosophical question. Who has the answers and the solutions? Does man or does a higher power? If you're a Christian, one answer of those answers is right and one is very wrong, misguided and flawed. That is for you to decide. I hope today's show has given you something to think about. As always, we salute your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. Never, ever forget, America is great because Americans are good. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. Freedom.
freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. 